Imagine that you're hanging out with a couple of guys that you've known since kindergarten. And by the time you're 21, you start a band. Now imagine that after less than six weeks together, you come up with and record a song that completely defines an entire genre and winds up influencing music and culture for the next 42 years. And imagine that after only four years, you put out four albums that cement your place in history as one of the most influential bands of the 1980s. But then two years after that band breaks up, you and at least two of the other three guys, the ones you've known since kindergarten, form a different band and enjoy the greatest commercial success of your career for the next 14 years. That's the condensed version of the musical career of Daniel Ash, who in 1978 released the nine-minute-long anthem Bela Lugosi's Dead with Kevin and David Haskins and lead singer Peter Murphy as the band Bauhaus, who, rightly or wrongly, have been labeled as the Godfathers of God. While nobody in the band is completely comfortable with that title, there's no question that the band still has a profoundly looming impact that still resonates and influences music and culture today. That same band, minus Peter Murphy, would later become Tones on Tail, and then they would become Love and Rockets, who would continue to thrive in front of an even bigger audience with hits like So Alive and No New Tale to Tell and several others. In 2019, all four original members of Bauhaus reformed and hope to spend most of last year touring the world. Those plans were, of course, interrupted due to the pandemic, but in the meantime, Daniel Ash kept busy with a brand-new band and a brand-new record, and he's going to tell you all about that and a whole lot more. This is not only my conversation with the legendary Daniel Ash. This is Daniel's very first podcast interview ever. Pretty damn exciting show on Baxi's Musical Podcast. Rexy's musical podcast. I can't believe this is the first podcast interview you've ever done. Yeah, yeah. I'm not really big on all this social media stuff. <laughs> um, I, I just like to run away on my motorcycle most of the time. So, but you know. Um, Got this album coming out, so I got to start promoting it. You know, well, so I appreciate I appreciate the plug. Hey, I I appreciate you allowing me to help you bulldoze into the twenty first century. Yeah, well, it's uh, it's crazy out there. It's crazy, crazy, crazy. Uh, I don't know when the end, when the beginning of the end of all this shit's going to happen. But uh, yeah, it's. I knew when it first started. To be honest, I had a hunch that this would happen. You know, I had friends saying, "Nah, it's nothing," and you know, it's obviously not turned out that way. And then here we are, almost a year into it, and we're we're still dealing with it. Hopefully, things will start yeah. turning around soon. I hope. So you uh, you just you hinted just a second ago. I know you had a big uh, announcement to make. Tell me what's going on. Well, you know, it's not a big announcement yet because I'm finished it. But I, you know, um, I've been working on an album with uh, Paul Demon from Sade, bass playing Sade, and Bruce Smith, drummer in Pill. Uh, it's, a, it's a project that we started about eighteen months ago, and uh, we're finally, you know. Um, Bruce lives in New York. Well, he lives on the East Coast, and then Paul's in L.A., and I'm about 100 miles from him. So getting together, especially now, has been, you know, real difficult. It hasn't really happened. We've had to use, you know, telephones, and um, God, that sounds old-fashioned, doesn't it? <laughs> We've had to text each other an email and stuff like that and telephone, you know, just and sending files to each other to do our bits. And it didn't start out that way. We were actually in the studio, you know, 18 months ago, right. on and off through the year. And oh. then as it's uh, as it's carried on, 
you know, we've been uh, working separately and sending each other the parts and building and building. I think we've probably got about 15 tracks now. So, you know, we're going to pick the best and um, put out an album, you know. It's called it's called Ashes and Diamonds is the name of the band. It, you know, it's myself, Paul and Bruce, uh, three-piece. And um, I must say, it's working out really well. I mean, we've had time to really craft the songs and get them produced you know, really, mm-hmm. uh, you know, as good as possible because I, I really hate underproduction unless it's the Velvet Underground, of course, you know. But <laughs> um, generally, I'm into real. I really like to fine-tune the, the, the produ- uh, production of things as far as the uh, songs go. It sounds like that's what a lot of people are doing now when they're you know, they're working on projects, obviously, because everyone's got a distance and, you, and you've got, you know, people living, you know, in different parts of the country or different parts of the world. A lot yeah. of people are doing it. You know, piece by piece, sending files and and putting it together on their computer. That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah. I, I, you know what? It's funny. I think that there's going to be an absolute glut of music after when everything starts to ease up. I think there's going to be so many albums out there because uh, you know you've certainly had time to uh, be at home and write songs and stuff like that. You know, right. so I think there's going to be a saturation of uh, stuff from very, you know, from from musicians basically. Do you have like a timetable of when the uh, the Ashes and Diamonds record would be would be out? Well, yeah, I mean, I've got to find out how to promote this and sell it and all the rest of it when it's done. We're on the last. We've got two more mixes to do, and uh, we've got this whiz kid on the East Coast in New York called Scotty Hardman, who's been uh, we're sending the tracks to him, and then he puts his magic on it and uh, just makes it sound like a record. If you know what I mean, he's like, I have never met the guy. You know, I don't even know what he looks like, but you know, we've been talking and. <laughs> We give the tracks to him, and he's been doing some great mixing. So uh, giving it a youthful injection, uh, which is great. And then I've got to mention James uh, Salter, who's the guy that actually put all this together. He's a friend of mine. He's a fellow motorcycle um, rider. And uh, we're, we're friends for quite a few years, and mm. he uh, managed to get, me a public, get us a publishing deal and all the rest of it. And also he's been co-producing on various tracks on this thing. So... You know, this is 18 months worth. So when the uh, when the last, I'm, I'm hoping that we're going to actually have the last mix. We've got two more to go. It should be done by the end of February. And then it's a matter of finding out how to promote it and get it out there because obviously we're not going to be doing gigs anytime soon. Uh, but, you know, there obviously now there's other avenues, there's other ways of getting it out there. So, we, you know, we can't wait actually to get some sort of feedback because, you know, you can go on and on and on and on. You know, this has been 18 months, and it's like there's a time, there's a point where you really need to get some feedback, public out there. So, and, you know, two months, I'm hoping. So as a yep. guy who is uh, not always satisfied to be repeating himself and to do the, you know, the same thing over and over again, I mean, how would you describe this record? Is it is it you know, very different from what you've you've done before, or are there some similarities between this and, well, and Love and Rockets? It's going to, yeah, it's going to be very some similarities because you know I'm I'm doing the words and stuff and I'm uh, doing vocals so that there's going to be similarities there. Uh, subject matter, yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, there's, you know, there's a, this is a real cliche, you know, but there's a song about 2020, and it's a real, it's a really, really sad song. I mean, I can't listen to it at the moment; it's too sad. Right. It's just a real, a real downer. But I'm we're tweaking the music so that it's not a downer to have a juxtaposition there within the song, because if you have the lyrics and the music down, it's, it doesn't work. It goes too. nobody wants to hear it because it's too depressing. So I want to 
get some music uh, amped up on that particular track. But then there's another song which is completely optimistic, which, funnily enough, was written in the same week, so it's quite schizophrenic. Um, but the difference with this is, you know, again, I'm working with completely new people. So the way Paul plays bass and the way Bruce plays drums is very different from who I've worked with before. So it's, it's intentional to work with new people to do something fresh, you know, plus a new name for the band. Uh, you know, it's just fresh blood. Well, I'm hoping that it's going to be uh, that it is going to be perceived as something different again, rather than, you know, I mean, I hate repeating myself. So and I <laughs> like to sort of. Uh, switch it up that, that's for the public to decide we'll see i mean when you, when you talk about playing with the same people over and over again i mean you've known the haskins brothers since you were children i mean to, and to have played you know together musically for that long with those two guys i would assume that you're you're more than happy to start playing with somebody new just to get new ideas and and and, and new blood in there yeah that's that's exactly it i mean it has been a long time i mean i know i knew uh, David and Kevin from art school, and I knew Peter from school from like 12 years old. So, you know, mind you, we've all done projects in between that yeah. setup or those setups. So, you know, but yeah, this is totally new because I've never worked with these guys before. But I, I know um, I know Paul, Paul Demon, from his wife, uh, Kim, because she was at art school, same time as me. She was in the fashion department at art school. So oh, I know good. her from way back from like, you know, 18 years old. Wow. And then obviously I met, Paul when he um, they moved to LA many years ago, so I know Paul to a degree, but not on not in a working uh, capacity. So I, I want to ask you this, and it, I, I I'm totally curious about what your your answer would be. Although I have a pretty good idea of where you would go with it. This whole Godfather of Goth thing, aren't you a little sick of that <laughs> shit by now? I don't listen to it. It's um it's something Susie Sue said years ago, which I tend to agree with. It's sort of funny. But she said, goth doesn't exist. And I'm like, yeah, I'll agree with that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a funny way of dealing with it. It's a... uh, Because, you know, way back, if you called Susie and the Banshee's goth or the cure goth, it was an insult. You know, but I've repeated myself too many times about this whole thing. But, yeah, the bottom line is I don't listen to it. I don't look at that stuff and all that those labels. I mean, again, that's another cliche, me even saying that, but. No, but, Way I, over that. but you know what? I get it because, I mean, you think about, I mean, there's always been a desire to classify everything. Yeah. And, well, it, I see the necessity in it to a degree. You've got to put it in some box. Well, you, you needed to in the past, not so much now because everything crosses over with everything else. You can use all the, I mean, you know, going way back, Brian Eno did that with, um, with here come the warm jets. I mean, he was using different musical styles in that album to great effect. Yeah. And I know that's 1972, but it's the first thing that comes off the top of my head as a, you know, as a good example of, of really mixing it up, different musical styles. That album is genius because of that. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, when I think of, of, of the term goth rock, I, I, or, you know, or, or however you want to describe it, I also think in the same terms of like kraut rock, which to me is like a totally dismissive way of explaining or classifying a ton of great you know, music yeah. that had nothing to do with anything, including all those other bands that were lumped together in that classification. It's just, it was just a, like a weird way of you know covering it all with a big giant blanket. Yeah, well, they just you know in the in the little aisles in the old days, you had to put things in and record you know record stores. <laughs> right. You had to put things in categories, so that's what it was used for. You know that I get that I get that side of it. 
you know. Yeah. Uh, there's a big difference between anything I've been involved with and, say, you know, heavy metal. I mean, you know, thank God. But I'm just saying, you know, it's, it's, it's a category of music. But with the goth thing, it's very, it's uh, perceived. I don't know if it is now, but it was definitely perceived very different in America to the UK. Um, but I, I don't really want to delve into that and start naming all these different bands because I've done it so many times before. It's real boring. But, yeah. you know, it's I get it. I get why there was that... Uh, Somebody named it that, right. just like somebody punk, punk, etc. Exactly. You know, got um, also prog rock and blah blah blah. It's, I get it. I just think we were more than that. That's all. But that, that's, I think, um, all musicians say that as a cliche in itself. Yeah, but I think it's, but I think it's, but I think you're right. Bauhaus was more than that. Love and Rockets was certainly more than that. And and and, and in fact, I remember uh, back when I was in college, this would have been. Uh, 1985, 1986. I saw Love and Rockets play in uh, in Milwaukee, and and the thing that that I remember most about the show is is that there was just a sea of guys trying really hard to look just like Daniel Ash, and <laughs> very, very, very few of them were were able to pull that that off. I mean, you know, this the way that the bands have sounded, the way you guys look. It was all very important to both of those bands, whether or not, you know, how you guys looked was intentional. It meant something to a lot of people back in the in the, the late seventies and certainly as you were moving, you know, a little, little bit further up into the into the eighties. Yeah, well, uh, I'm just what occurs to me right there is just how influenced I was from uh, David Bowie in particular, obviously. I mean, uh, Peter and myself at school were obsessed. You know, we had a strict diet of Bowie, T-Rex and Roxy Music and Iggy and the Stooges. Well, actually, not so much the Stooges, but Iggy. You know, Lust for Life and uh, The Idiot. That, you know, we, that's all we listen to. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> some things haven't changed, actually. So I we still listen to that. I was, just, I was just listening to Raw Power the other day and just how incredible that song is and it 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 is exactly the same as riding a motorcycle for me so it's it's so it just um says that completely uh it's that thing so um but yeah going back to you know the the gigs back then i mean if you think about i don't think um love and rockets weren't anything to do with goth at all i mean i don't think you can even put them in that category and and then the other one uh, actually which is you know my favorite i think is tones on tail which nobody talks about, which is a bummer, because uh, I think we were really um, breaking new ground with that. If you listen to that stuff now, it sounds like it could have been recorded last week because uh, it's not in any category at all. What, I, what I'm very proud of with that band, it sounds like it's from another planet. And that, for me, I achieved what I wanted to achieve because it really does sound otherworldly. I think when you used to hear, uh, you know, go in the clubs and, and you'd, you'd see how you know, it would just, you know, react, how people would react to it start dancing yeah, to that yeah, song absolutely it, you know, 20 years 30 years on as well incredible and what is very funny for me because uh, i remember it came on in a nightclub when i was in uh, the pyramid club i think in new york a while back quite a while back anyway and it came on but he went ballistic and i'm thinking if only these people knew how that was made in this tiny little humble studio on the outskirts of northampton a place called wellingborough back studios you know it's a really humble little 16 track studio analog and um it makes me giggle when i think of how that was recorded <laughs> and you know it it is a, it's a super cool track you know and people still love it it's great i mean i'm very chuffed with that I mean, obviously i'm really proud of that yeah and, and, yeah and you should be like i said that is like one of those songs that came out you know it 
for many people, they may not know about Tones on Tail, but I missed seeing Tones on Tail like by two years. Again, when I was in college, I think you guys played a show in Chicago, and then two years later, you're playing uh, you know, Lo- as Love and Rockets. And, and, but, but, that yeah. was a, but that was a song that we were playing on college radio all the time because it has such a great, exhilarating groove to it. it I mean, it's, it is a classic. Yeah. yeah, it is. I'm very proud of that. I'm sure the other guys are as yeah. well, Glenn and uh, Kevin. Absolutely. I, I, I do want to ask yeah. you something because, you know, to me, you know, when you go back to the beginning of Bauhaus, what is remarkable to me, because every time I've read it, I'm going, how is that even possible? The stories that I, as I understand it, is you guys were a band for just a handful of weeks before you go into a studio and record Bella Lugosi's Dead. You're 21 years old. You're children at that point. You create this nine-minute opus. I mean, there's really no, no other way to describe it. After only a couple of weeks, when most people start bands at 21, they're still trying to figure out how to work out, you know, Stairway to Heaven in, a, in their parents' basement. But you guys are able to put something together that was remarkable. How how did that that happen in such a short period of time? That band is incredibly speedy. I mean, we did work. When the four of us got together, it was... Um... It's a situation where you'd have an idea, and if, it, if, if they didn't like it, if we didn't like it, be, no, that's no good. Next, within moments. So, but with Bella, it was a magical moment. Um, just, it, yeah, we've been together two or three weeks, and uh, I don't think I need to tell the story on really how it all happened, because I've said that so many times. But right. um, the, the main thing with Bauhaus is everything... Your idea wasn't any good. We moved on to the next idea within 30 seconds to a minute. It was so instant, and we were all really impatient. And I remember us thinking, you know, we wanted to get there real quick. And, you know, we wanted to get to playing gigs in London immediately, not dick around playing gigs in the pub in your hometown for six years before you start to think about doing a gig in London. You know, we wanted to, we were doing gigs in London, I think, within a month anyway. Uh, very soon, you know, real quick anyway. But um, the whole thing, the whole vibe of that band is we're very impatient. And, I, and this is funny, but I remember us thinking, my God, we're going to be 22. We better get on, otherwise we're going to be over the hill. <laughs> we actually thought, I remember thinking to myself, we've got to get a move on here because the Sex Pistols have been on top of the pops already and they're 21. We, we haven't even, <laughs> we haven't done that. It's we got to get moving, otherwise it's going to be over. I mean, we work real quick. It was just ideas were bouncing off each other. We, we, it was just fast. That's that is amazing. Yeah, about, about three, four weeks, and we booked the studio because we knew that we had something. And the funny thing is, as soon as we, when we were in the rehearsal room, we just started playing it. And that was what you hear on the record. It was a weird, magical moment. Amazing. It was literally that quick. It was just, we played the, we pretty much played the song as you hear it. That's my memory of it anyway. So wow. we were like, all right, let's phone Beck. Get into the studio now, as soon as possible. Let's get this down while it's fresh. So uh, in 2019, there was a, a brief Bauhaus reunion. And I know there were only a handful of shows. I think there were a couple in Los it was Angeles. Brief. Yeah. Gigs. Yeah, real real brief. And I and I and I heard that but there were more we were fast. I mean I, I know there were more dates booked. Is there any plan to to resume that or is that uh, or is that yeah, kind of a is. done yeah. thing? We were supposed to play all around the world this year uh 2020 we were supposed to it was all booked we were you know doing several gigs festivals etc and everything's cancelled uh but there's definitely um there's definitely plans when all this list 
I don't think it's going to be till next year now, the way things are looking. If we're lucky, it will be next year. But, yeah, there's definitely plans to carry on. Good. So as far as you know, how you're getting along uh, with the other guys, I mean, again, yeah, I know you've had a long-standing working relationship with uh, with with the Haskins brothers, but you know, with with Peter, I know there have been issues over the years. Have has, has time resolved some of those issues, or you know, are is it just, or are you just forging ahead? Well, this is the deal. We're we're all, you know, I was laughing with Kevin months ago about this. I said, you know what? Because obviously, we all exchanged, we exchanged texts and emails. You know, we have to because of business. And um, I was having a laugh with Kevin about this. I said, you know, none of us have changed at all. We're exactly the same. <laughs> and that's pretty much it. And we get on and we don't get on and we get on and we don't get on. It's okay. It's doable because we're older now. You know, so it's not a big deal. You know, it, it carries on. In me. It's funny because I'm saying this now and we might all fall out again in about 36 hours. <laughs> I don't know. But it's definitely easier when you get older, you know, because uh, plus, we don't live in the same town and we don't see each other all the time. We're all like thousands of miles away from each other. So, you know, or hundreds of miles at least. So um, it's doable. We're going to carry on doing gigs. We, we we plan on doing next year what we were going to do. It, I, I, uh, I, I read an interview with David talking about how the last reunion ended as quick as it started. And, and it's very much like you talk about, you know, even in the beginning, you know, Bauhaus, very quick band. It's like, the song is done, you move yep. on. Uh, the tour is on, oh, yeah, it tours off. Well, there we, you see, we've just done it again because we played three gigs before Christmas in 2019, and now, <laughs> boom, flash, yeah. gone. When are they coming back? None of us know. When, we'll see what happens as far as the pandemic goes, because that's obviously that's holding us back. So Love and Rockets was together for 14 years its first time around before you had a, a reunion a couple of years later. But that's, you know, and again, You've known the Haskins forever. There's always this Bauhaus shadow. I mean, there's always, you're, you're always being compared from one thing to another. And even with a new record, you know, you know, down the, the road, do you still worry about, you know, am I just going to be overshadowed by the same old thing, even though I'm looking to do new things all the time? Is, is that a concern for you? No, I don't worry about that at all. I don't care about it being com compared because it's completely different. What I do worry, well, I don't worry about it, but what I'm hoping is that, you know, what's happening right now, you know, with Ashes and Diamonds, this new band, is that it's going to have a degree of success. Because if it doesn't, I'm out of there in a New York second. You know, it's got to be, if it's not doing anything, I'm done. Right. And that's how it's been with everything, um, with all the bands, you know. And, and it, you know, going back to Bauhaus, Love and Rockets, Turns on Tail. There's, uh, you know, there's different personalities. The bands are very different from each other with give or take a member, you know, because basically it's been, it's, it's been the same four people, if you think about it, over the years in different formats. And it has its moment and then you move on. But we're, none of us are the sort of people that want to hang around and drag it out. Right. And funny enough, when you said about Love and Rockets being together 14 years, I think all in all, that band was together 17 years, which actually I think is a bit of a miracle considering our personalities, you know, the, the fact that we could go on that long. But, you know, we had our own lives outside of the band as well and our own projects. But again, that's a long time to be in the same band. But when you get the four of us together, yeah, that's uh, volatile. You know, that's that's uh, something else. That's um, That's why we're quick. Yeah. We're quick to start and quick to finish. <laughs> yeah, you know, I, I've been a big fan of 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 Love and Rockets, you know, since the very beginning. And 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 like I said, having seen you guys in the, in the eighties, you know, I bought the first album and kept buying the albums as the 
as they went along. But you know, one of the albums that that that, that may not get the credit that it probably deserves, and I know there's, a, there's actually quite a story to it, is the Sweet FA album. And I know that the uh, there had been a fire and things were destroyed and there were lawsuits uh, because of that. What did happen uh, with that record and and with the fire? What was that all about? Well, we were we were having to scramble because I think halfway through making the record, the um, the record company we were with disintegrated, so that wasn't too good. I remember getting a phone call from Dave saying, "Hey, uh, we don't have a record company anymore." I have a memory of that, and the mo- and we have no money. That was a great little message to us as well. Uh, and so we were scrambling and we were basically putting that album together um, in Friends Studios in L.A. Uh, that's how we were having to do it on a shoestring budget. And the fire thing, that was, um, we had a friend over, well, we had a guy over called, you know, Genesis Piarage, who yep. recently passed away from Throbbing Gristle. You know that guy? I do, yeah. Anyway, yeah, he was staying at the place and... Um, Somebody had put a whammy on him, a fire. There was a fire. He did a gig in L.A. We went to the show. He comes back to the house. He, he was unconscious because um, he'd ingested something. We never found out what. But anyway, he was out. And when he was back at the house that we were staying at, and uh, somebody found a, what's called a fire doll. It's a whammy that voodoo that somebody put on him, and basically it creates fire. And that night, we all went to bed, whatever, you know, we were jamming it. We had a little rehearsal space there. It's the same place where the Chili Peppers were staying before that. And the next morning at seven in the morning, the whole house, starting from uh, the room that we're in, was up in flames. And some his assistant, Genesis' assistant, came banging on our doors saying, fire, fire, and to get out. And uh, I remember jumping out of the bedroom window two stories up, um, you know, wow. to the ground, you know, and the, the place was ablaze. That's what happened that night. So whether the wham it was the whammy or that's a coincidence or whatever, but it certainly happens, you well, know, and all our gear was destroyed, everything. Were tapes destroyed too? No, not really. No, no. It, we were, this was a rehearsal studio. It wasn't recording. We were just rehearsing gotcha. in uh, in the house. It was, it was uh, Rick Rubin's place. Oh, yeah. He'd okay. also had Chili Peppers working there before us. They'd re- written an album there. Uh, I don't think they recorded it there, but we don't. We certainly weren't recording there. We we, we were just working songs to be recorded later. But yeah, the whole house went up. It was a complete nightmare. We were lucky to you know get a, get a, out of there alive. I mean, as I said, I jumped out of a two story, up there, two floors up, at the bedroom that I was staying in. And you were, were you were yeah. you injured? No, I was super lucky. Um, I got my boots on and stuff, and I just enough. And I went to go to the door to the house to where the uh, the staircase was to go down. And I touched the door handle, and it was boiling hot, and I burnt my hand just grabbing the handle. So I, I knew not to open that door. And then I just went on automatic pilot, opened the window, and jumped. And I landed on my feet and rolled. And I had a bit of a backache a couple of days later, yeah, but I was super lucky. In fact, Genesis dived. He jumped out of. Uh, Either the second or third floor, and this is this is this sounds hilarious, but it's actually true. On the roof that he jumped from, he slipped on a banana skin. What? Why a banana skin was on the roof? I have no idea. He slipped on a banana skin on the roof and slid and landed really badly on his arm. Oh my gosh! Onto the ground and he bust his arm in like either nine or eleven places. Wow! He was in absolute agony. Got out. I don't know how he got out. Kevin actually wasn't staying there, so but there were various friends that were around 
there was Janice's assistant that was the one who was screaming, knocking on the doors, telling us fire, fire, you know. But yeah, it's uh, that happened. That's what happened. That could, I mean, thank God that wasn't that wasn't more tragic. I mean, I think that could have been so much worse. Yeah, nobody died. Yeah, but but, yeah. but Jen was in hospital for a long time after that, and uh, he had he had a blood condition anyway, so there was complications. But yeah, he busted his arm either in nine or twelve places. Nine, it was either nine or eleven places, as far as I remember. So he was banged up real bad in hospital for quite yeah. a time. And then there's a big old lawsuit about it and all the rest of it, which I don't want, really want to get into. But, um, yeah, and we lost all our gear. And, uh, so, yeah, the Sweet F8 thing, we were, you know, we were scrambling for places to record because the money had suddenly been taken away and there was no record company. So, yeah, great. <laughs> wow. So we got through it and we put it out, you know, in the end, just from uh, various friends helping us out in uh, little home studios in, in Hollywood. That's a hell of a story. And, and, and like I said, I, I think that's an album that probably doesn't get its due. I think I love that record. You can well, never tell what's going to pick up, what isn't. I mean, I didn't know that Go was going to do what Go was going to do. I mean, that was number one in Germany for like six weeks. And uh, I don't know where that lyric came from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I just said it. I just wrote it down. It was, you know, uh, amongst the, the different verses. And it just sort of one of those things that came out. But obviously, yeah means yes in German. And they picked up on it because it was, it was number one over there, you know, and I think that some of that has got to do with that lyric, yep. you know, the ya ya chorus thing. It didn't mean anything to me as I was doing it. I don't know where that came from in my head, yeah. subconsciously, what I was thinking there. It's fu- it's, no idea. It's funny how sometimes the simplest things you do wind up being the most effective things you do. Uh, the simplest things are always that case. I mean, <laughs> when I think back at the most successful tracks in any band or solo thing that I've done, the ones that came the quickest, and usually that I mean by a day or possibly two, uh, are the ones, are the quickest ones. Bella, a classic example, and So Alive. So Alive was written in one day and mixed and produced and done with by day two. Really? Quick, quick, quick. Bella, one day, the whole thing. Um, go, same thing, one day. Yeah, real quick. It's the best. It's weird how that is. I wish it would happen more often. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, the the uh, then you can labor on something for three months and nobody gives a shit. So, <laughs> Yeah, I'm into spontaneity big time because of that. I try not to let the intellect get in the way and just have something that's pure. Not As soon as you start thinking about it, uh, you screw it up. That's that's the case for me anyway. I can't really craft things for long. It's either quick or move on. Yeah. Well, and it's something actually that how Iggy Pop works. Is, um, when Bowie was working with Iggy back with The Idiot and Lust for Life, he would, it was like automatic writing, but uh, verbally, he would just come out with those, 90% of those lyrics were right off the top of his head, just down, on boom, in front of the mic, which is the same as rapping, if you think about it. That's where that comes from. I don't know how those guys do that. I have no, I am, admire that so much. I don't know where that comes from, that when people rap. Uh, I can't, I, I can't understand how they do that. It's incredible. I've heard that um, about about Iggy. I actually uh, interviewed uh, Clem Burke from Blondie, who uh, who was on a, an, an Iggy album. Uh, same thing that uh, that it was like one of those things where you know Iggy would just make stuff up on the spot, and it was like it worked. It's like it was this an insane uh, improvisational talent that the guy had. And- but what it is with what what's going on there is that he is not allowing the intellect take over i think the intellect does so much damage to as far as the arts is concerned yeah. it's when it's pure it's the subconscious coming forward and the subconscious is 
so much more than the conscious anyway. So what's going on is he's channeling that. And that is so much bigger and better than the... It's, it's so much different, let's just say, than the conscious mind, the subconscious. So if you can channel that, you've got the world at your feet, as far as I'm concerned, because the unconscious knows everything. The, sub, um, the subconscious knows everything in comparison with your conscious self. So that's being channeled. And when the intellect takes over, you get what I call arty-farty nonsense. You know, it's overcrafted, overthought about. And then you have things like prog rock. You know, let's forget about that. Uh, you know. So the, the, the new album is going to come out uh, later this year? Yeah, it's definitely going to be this year. We're going to finish it. Um, it's going to be done. It's got to be done by the end of next month. You know, we need some feedback. And then it's a case of uh, promoting it and getting it out there. So... But the, we, we intend going on the road with it because I know Paul for sure can't wait to play gigs. He loves playing live. You know, there's the other ways to get it out there. It's going to be the usual Facebook stuff and Instagram and all that. So after two months, I'm hoping, I really hope that we're going to have it in the can in two months' time. Run, you know, just check all the mixes are right, get it mastered, and then start. Um, I don't know, we might release an EP or a one track a week or something like that. I've got to find out exactly the best way to um, put it out there and get some feedback. Uh, I, I can't wait to hear it. Ashes and Diamonds is the name of it, right? I can't wait to hear I can't wait. I can't wait to hear it either. <laughs> <laughs> I bet. Hey, it's, that... it's in New York. It's in New York at the moment being messed with. And then it'll be sent back to me and then it'll be sent back to Paul. And we go, yeah, can you change this? Could you do that? Could you do this? And then it'll go back again. And then we'll get it back, and then Bruce will say something, and then it'll change again. And that's been going on for 18 months. So it's <laughs> got to end by uh, the last day of February. That's the deadlines that we've put on ourselves. And then hopefully it's going to be wonderful. I'm, I'm sure it will Fingers be. Crossed. Daniel, I, I appreciate the time today. It's a real pleasure to talk to you. And like I said, I've been a fan for a long, long time. So thank you very much for, for, for doing your first podcast with me. I'm actually very honored. Well, I really appreciate the plug. So thank you so much as well. You thank bet, you. Daniel. Thank you very much. Okay. Bye-bye now. That's Daniel Ash. Ashes and Diamonds coming out later this year. I'll be posting some Spotify playlists of Daniel's entire career with Bauhaus and Tones on Tail and Love and Rockets and some of his solo stuff too. Check them out on Facebook. I'll be posting those later on. Let me know what you think. You can email me at backsofrock102.com. We'll see you next time on the Bagsy's Musical Podcast.